Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice, a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza, and you can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. do you define success? Maybe you feel like, I don't define success. Success isn't important to me. Well, I think Charles Darwin would have something to say about that. Whether you like it or not, we are, if you're a living thing, we are wired for success. And if you don't stop and consciously with your highest self, define what that success looks like with things that actually matter, your subconscious, your unconscious, your your lowest self that's not capable of measuring things that matter will measure success in the most simple form that it can, that that it can track, that it can measure. And that usually takes the place of, or that that usually comes in the form of numbers. You know, I've never liked numbers. You know, no offense if you're a math person, if you love numbers, good for you. But I think that there's just something about numbers that really bugs me. I think that it's primarily that numbers aren't real. There is no such thing as five if if there aren't five pineapples or five coconuts or five Pikachus, five is nothing. Five only represents a thing. It's a symbol in it of itself. It means nothing. It's meaningless, right? And yet, if you don't actively connect yourself to what numbers represent, you will get completely and utterly obsessed with numbers. You know, right now in the pandemic and even just in the era in which we are creating stuff, it's easy to get really obsessed with numbers. When you are making stuff for the internet and you're focused on your phone, if you are not 
conscious about defining success in a higher way, you're going to define your success. You're going to obsess over the numbers, the followers, the shares. Uh, you're you're going to get so obsessed. You're going to with outsmarting the algorithm that your your brain at some point is just going to be like, ah, 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 the numbers, the numbers, <laughs> look at the numbers. This is a small way of thinking and it's not very productive. And if you're not careful, this kind of obsession with the numbers will cause you to pull over and, and, and just end the whole journey. But there's a deeper way of thinking and connecting to a definition of success that will give you the fuel to keep going and push through that existential panic that comes from, you know, bean counting and, and just obsessively tracking every single analytic. So the other day, I was moving stuff to the studio. I freaking hate moving anything. I don't I hate like menial tasks like that. Uh, it's it just, I don't know. It just drives me nuts. But I, I had, I had no other choice. I had a bunch of supplies and a bunch of prints and all this stuff that I needed to move to the studio. So I packed my little Toyota RAV4 to the brim. It's not very big. So it was, you know, the whole back seat, the trunk, even the passenger seat was stacked to the brim with stuff stacked to the ceiling. And right as I pull out of my driveway, my car starts to panic. Ah, ah, ah! Like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm like right there with it in the panic. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna have to empty this freaking car and take it to the mechanic. And oh my gosh, uh, I cannot freaking deal with this. Uh, and right as I'm about to pull the plug on the whole operation, I pause and look up and see the little blinking light on my dashboard. You see, my little car and its tiny wisdom, it, it, it thinks that there's a passenger in the seat without a seatbelt on. That's why it's panicking. You know, it doesn't have a higher form of consciousness. I don't know exactly what this artificial intelligence looks like, but I'm, I'm assuming there's some kind of scale mechanism in the seat that, that just weighs if there's something in that seat and it just looks at the numbers. It focuses on the numbers and it says, ah, ah, look at the numbers, look at the numbers. And if you're not careful, you can get caught up and swept up in that panic focusing on the numbers. But <laughs> if I just paused for a second and connected back to my greater awareness, I could see that there's nothing to panic about because it's not the numbers that matter. It's whether or not there's a pulse on the other side of that number. It's, I can't, you know, my higher consciousness is actually able to measure much greater things, much more important things. Things like humanity, life, meaning, connectivity. 
you have the level of consciousness that can concern yourself with so much more and so much so much higher levels of measurement than just getting caught up on the numbers. And so if you are in a state right now where every time you show up to make stuff, you are in that small level of thinking, that obsession with pushing the needle on the followers and the likes and the comments and, and outsmarting the algorithm and going viral and you're all caught up. You are not tapping into your consciousness that is higher than the consciousness of my car. <laughs> and today on the show, what I want to do is I want to shift our thinking. I want us to dive deeper. I want us to pause and define our success in a much more mindful way. Because if we do, we are going to see that we are already more successful than we realize and that we actually have a lot of agency and control on how we succeed as creatives. So the reason I created this episode is because I just found myself getting into this time where I was just so sick of the freaking internet, man. Good God. And I'm grateful for it at the same time. I'm grateful that we still have, you know, while we're living through these times, that we still have a way to connect with each other, even if we can't be in the same room as each other. I am grateful, but sometimes I just get so fed up with, you know, the highest form of what I'm making, uh, you know, being something that gets put on the internet and graded with numbers by strangers. And I, and I wanted to be clear at the top of this, this, this is not anti-virality. It's not anti-social uh, media. I, I think that those are th things that can be great byproducts of making great stuff. And I'm, and I'm for it. I'm here for that. But I'm for so much more than that. I'm, I'm for much, much deeper things than that as well. And it's important for me to define success because I need to remember that Instagram success or TikTok success or podcast success uh, or, you know, internet success is uh, not the only form of success and it's not the most meaningful. And, you know, I've realized over time as I've made picture books that what works really well in a picture book doesn't necessarily work well on Instagram. And it's most certainly not the same thing that goes viral. And I, and I think that, you know, things that in my career that have gone viral, there's been a handful uh, and they've been really important to me and they've been uh, key moments in my career, I'm not downplaying those things at all. But in order for me to show up on a regular basis, I have to define success in a different way to keep my sanity, to keep my humanity 
and to keep my fuel in the tank. And, uh, you know, as I have been feeling so fed up and sick and tired of the internet, you know, there's part of me that I feel like was searching for, is there an alternative means for getting your stuff out there? And I went and checked and bad news, there's not. (laughs) I don't know if there's really a better means. Um, It's pretty good means, but I don't think it's a fantastic end in itself. I think that maybe there isn't an alternative means, but there might be an an alternative end result that we are looking for and shooting for. And that's what happens when we define success differently. So the first thing that I want us to do is start with what we're against. Here's why. Because as I was thinking about the alternatives to the internet or or an alternative way to show up on the internet, I got thinking about alternative music, started thinking about one of my great loves in life, which was indie music. And, uh, you know, I just, I just started to kind of research a little bit about indie music and figure out how did they show up when the culture for so long said that what they were doing wasn't important in terms of metrics and charts? You know, if you dive in a little bit, you'll see that a lot of people think that indie music starts in the late 70s, early 80s with bands like the Smiths and R.E.M. And it takes a full decade of hundreds of people, musicians, creatives showing up for something alternative to top the charts. A decade later, Nirvana hits number one with Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I just asked myself, how, how did these artists show up to the studio and show up to their creative space and pour their hearts out when they weren't showing up on the charts, when they weren't being validated by the numbers? What kept them going? Why didn't they pull off to the side of the road when the numbers were going, ah, numbers, numbers, numbers? What were they measuring their success by? And I think it's because they weren't driven by numbers. They were driven by values. They had a thing in them. They had a culture. They had an ethos. They all had an understanding that said, less people will like this music. Less people will listen to it. But we believe that it doesn't mean that it is less than. In fact, we're going to have the audacity to say it might mean that it's actually better. And so I think it's a little bit ironic that one of the, you know, maybe two to five max things that I've done in my little over a decade career that went viral, one of the things, the first thing that I ever did uh, that had that kind of accessibility was a little thing called the Indie Rock Coloring Book. 
You know, I made an indie rock coloring book. It was published by Chronicle Books in 2009. And this, I don't know if there was just a lot less of stuff going on in the world. There was a lot less to talk about. And uh, so this thing was all over the place. It was on TV. You know, it was USA Today, put it in their gift guide, Time Magazine, Paste, Pitchfork. All these freaking outlets were talking about this coloring book about indie rock. And, and I don't, you know, I don't have the ego to believe that the indie rock coloring book was maybe one tap of the hammer in the the final nail in the coffin of indie rock's heyday. But I do have the shame that says that maybe I contributed in the tiniest way because what's ironic is the indie rock coloring book was one of my only viral successes when indie rock at its core is kind of anti virality. What bound them together was an anti-accessibility, anti-mainstream taste. And, and, and I believe that understanding what they were against, you know, th- look, in a minute, I'm going to talk about why I think this should only be a pit stop and not an end destination. Knowing what you're against, rallying around that, and only and, and staying there, I think is a formula for a lot of toxicity. But it can be a shortcut. We know what we're against. It's really hard to know what you're for. Uh, but I feel like we can actually hack our negative brains, identify what we're against and use that as a means to figure out what we're for. Let me explain what I mean by that. In Austin Kleon's latest book, Keep Going, he talks about this punk band called Wire. They could never agree on what their sound was going to be. They couldn't agree on what their influences were going to be. They couldn't figure out what what do we like? What do we want to do with our sound? Uh, And instead, they started by agreeing on what they were definitely not doing. They couldn't figure out what they were for, but they knew what they were against. No solos, no decoration. When the words run out, it stops. No chorusing out, no rocking out. Keep it to the point. And I think that this can be a super powerful exercise. And I think it has something to do with the fact that our brains are actually more wired to keep track of what we don't want or what we hate or, you know, we have this kind of metal detector that flares off and says, hate that, hate that, hate that. And I actually believe that uh, the more sensitive your palate the pickier that you end up being. You know, I feel like if you have a super tasting tongue, you get really picky about the kinds of things that you eat and what you feel like works and what doesn't. And so if you're starting a restaurant, instead of listing out, this is the kind of food we're going to make, this is what we believe in, this is our style, this is our aesthetic, this is what we're all about. Instead of starting there, because that can be very overwhelming, maybe just start with the things that absolutely drive you mad. I really believe that this is how indie rock lasted a decade without the world really giving a damn about what they were doing. They knew that they didn't want to have to, to prioritize mainstream success, to prioritize accessibility. They believed that that got in the way 
of making great work. Now, I don't feel that way. That's not really what I'm against. There's a lot of things that are super accessible. There's a lot of things that go viral that I think are absolutely fantastic. Um, and some of the things that I've made that have gone viral in their own little ways are some of my favorite things I've made. Um, but getting to the bottom of what am I really against as a creative is a great starting block for finding what you're for and how you want to define success. So just take your medium, you know, if you're an illustrator, use illustration and say, what kind of illustration is just the worst? List out three things. If you're a musician, what are three things that maybe they're popular things right now where you're like, oh my gosh, every pop song that does this makes me want to puke. You know, as if you're an actor, I feel like you're like, oh man, that person keeps getting cast and I hate the way that they do this. Start there. But let's not stop there. That leads us to number two. Okay, the second thing I want you to do is know what you're for. Use what you're against and then look at the flip side of that and proclaim, own, really spend some time getting conscious about what is my definition of not just failure, but success. What am I shooting for? And keep that at the front of your mind. Here's why I think that is so important. You know, I believe that, you know, we talked about an, um, a minute ago how the one of the first alternative bands to really blow up was Nirvana. And I really believe that um, the tragedy of the way that Kurt Cobain uh, passed uh, is a super sensitive thing. And I, uh, you know, and, and I mourn any creative that uh, whose life ends in a tragedy. And I'm sure that there are primarily mental health problems and and all kinds of um, deep-seated issues that I can't claim to know anything about. But I do, I am a little bit curious of what it would look like about, you know, I, I'd read that Kurt Cobain had a lot of problems with finding success in his music. And I wonder if part of that, just one little tiny part, is potentially because they knew what they were against. That, that alternative music knew they were against the mainstream, knew that they were against success, and I wonder what it would look like, not not just in that circumstance, because I'm not sure anything could have changed that, but I, I wonder for all of the bands, if they hadn't just stopped there at knowing what they were against and really got intentional about defining what am I for, whether uh, they could have integrated success into their lives in a way that was really life-giving. And I think it's kind of that important. 
you know, when you find yourself in the small consciousness of a car, you know, just looking at the numbers, just being like, it's the numbers, ah, ah, the numbers. When you're in that zone, you find yourself obsessing over this bus didn't get as many likes as I thought. Oh, why can't I move that? Why do I, why am I growing followers at such a slow rate? What, you know, if you find yourself freaking out about numbers, I want you to train your brain to have a little, just like my car has a little thing on the dashboard, a little light flashing, you, you know, put a seatbelt on. I want you to have a little light flashing in your mind. When you find yourself in the low consciousness of obsessing over numbers, I want it to remind you of a list of things, maybe just three things of what you're for that goes beyond numbers, that goes deeper, that taps into your ability to measure things that actually matter. And, you know, recently, as I've been inspired by indie music and, and inspired by this idea that just because less people like it doesn't mean that it's less than. In fact, it might be because it's better. Uh, I've been trying to remember a few things. Some of mine are slow growth equals stable growth. You've heard, I didn't come up with this metaphor. It's a, it's a age old metaphor, but it doesn't mean that it's any less true. Uh, that, you know, the tree that shoots up overnight is the one that gets blown over in the wind. That roots take time. You know, I've seen friends who spent a decade putting in roots before they went viral. And it is a world of difference. You know, roots, friends, networks, uh, support, substance in their creativity. That all of that stuff is slow growing. And so when you find yourself worrying about numbers aren't ticking over fast enough, I want a, a reminder just to go off in your brain that says, no, slow growth. Slow growth is good growth. Slow growth is stable growth. The second one for me is uh, acquired tastes are preferable. Acquired tastes, you know, complex flavor profiles are acquired tastes, and that's the good stuff. Most of the stuff, most of the creative stuff that really changed you, that really rocked you, that, you know, for me, it was things like Hayao Miyazaki. You know, when I first kind of came in contact with Miyazaki's work, it was through, you know, anime kids in my uh, high school. And I remember just being like, what the heck? I don't, didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it took me forever to open up and, and acquire that taste. But once I did, it freaking rocked me. You know, it's think back to the last piece of art that made you cry. The, the last thing that changed your life. I guarantee that it's probably not something that has even the potential to go viral because things with complex Flavor profiles are acquired tastes. You know, most recently, uh, Waxahachie's record "Saint Cloud." It, it's probably you know, it, it's a. I think there's some the the nuance of why it's so amazing to me. Uh, it, it, it might not click with you right away, 
But that record is my favorite record of the decade, and I've listened to it a million times. And and sometimes it'll start over uh, on Spotify, and I'll just roll into listening to it all over again. That kind of thing. It, it very rarely that thing spreads like wildfire. It's an acquired taste, and that that's a good thing because complex profiles are are acquired taste. The more the more nuance and complexity and, and richness that you have in your work, the you know the slower it's going to catch on. The third one I'll just say is measuring depth, not width. And we're going to get the, to this one in a minute. But I try to not put so much value on the likes and put more value on the comments, but not just the comments on Instagram, but the comments from the Friends whose taste I'm just crazy about. And I want to talk about that in, in number three. But a great example of this that I saw recently was the picture book proclamation. Uh, it's people like John Classen, Carson Ellis, uh, Mac Barnett, a bunch of phenomenal picture book makers got together and they created a document. You can go see it. It's at thepicturebook.co. It's just a one-page website. It's just a JPEG, actually. And it's a list of this is what we believe picture books are about. This is what we're for. They took the time because if you don't consciously stop what you're doing and name and identify and post up all over around you where you can see it, where you can remember that life and creativity means more than numbers, you will forget it. You know, they said things like picture books are a form, not a genre. The line between moral and meaning is paramount. We write for children, adults who read with children, and adults who enjoy picture books in that order. They keep that front of mind when they go to put, when they go to make a picture book because they think it's this ultra clever thing that, you know, hipsters are going to freak, freak out about. They have to check themselves and say, no, we write for children first. And they're not going to be able to grab that truth very quickly as a reminder to keep them showing up, to keep them on track, to keep them from pulling over to the side of the road and freaking out about the numbers if they don't have it top of mind, if they don't have it right in front of their face on their creative dashboard every single day. And so that's the power of knowing what you're for and really defining it. All right, number three, the last one is choose human rhythms over algorithms. You know, I think a lot about how important, we talk about it almost every episode of the show, friends, peers, uh, you know, networks, being staying connected to the humanity of what making stuff is all about. It is so important. It's never been more important. Get yourself a group of people that value what you value and really take stock of what they care about and how they feel about your work. That will keep you motivated over the long haul, even before the numbers show up, even before the masses take note. And often, if you're working in stuff that's really good taste, you're going to be ahead of the curve. And so the only metric you have is your own taste and the taste of people who you respect and share a sensibility with. 
You know, I think about, I've mentioned this idea on the podcast before, this this idea of a basketball player that spends too much time with uh, soccer players. And they all, all he ever hears about is, <laughs> this is how little I know about sports. Is this what soccer players talk about? Like, man, I just love not touching the ball. <laughs> Like, man, touching the ball, that's hilarious. Like, you know, and they're constantly poking fun at the basketball player. And at first, the basketball player is like, okay, that's funny, guys, you know, whatever. But eventually, he finds himself actually getting self-conscious about touching the ball, which is the whole freaking game in basketball. I, I'm pretty sure. Not a basketball expert. But uh, but that's, the, that's what happens if you don't surround yourself with – people whose rhythm you are in sync with. But the power of, you know, I have a few friends that when I make something that I'm proud of, that I'm excited about, that is lighting up my personal creative taste buds, I know I can send it to them and I will get some kind of idea of if I'm onto something. And if they're like freaking out about it and I post it online and the numbers are not reflecting that emotional state, I don't have to give a freaking crap about the algorithm because I am still in sync with a human rhythm. And so what I want you to do, if you don't listen to anything on this episode and this is all you take away, here's what I want you to remember. There's a phrase that I want you to leave this podcast with and it'll help you stay in that human rhythm when you're obsessing over numbers. When you find yourself obsessing over the numbers. I want you to remember that you're human. You know, these little CAPTCHAs, they're the things that make you prove your humanity online, like when you're signing in and they show you all these little pictures and, and you're supposed to click everyone that contains any bit of sidewalk uh, to prove that you're not a robot, right? And, you know, a robot could take one little tiny point of this, one of those little pictures on the tiny micro, and it could count up the pixels and count how many are white, like the crosswalk and how many are non-white uh, of all the other you know, surrounding areas. And it could tell you the exact number of pixels. A robot can do that, but it can't zoom out yet. <laughs> it can't zoom out into the big picture. It can't put it into context. And when you find yourself obsessing over numbers, when you find yourself counting pixels, counting likes, counting follows, bean counting on the internet, I want you to make a declaration in your mind. I want you to click that little box and say it with me. I am not a robot. I am not a robot. When you find yourself obsessing over the numbers, I want that phrase to flare up in your mind like that little seatbelt guy on the dashboard. I am not a robot. I do not define success on numbers. Numbers aren't real. Five isn't a thing if there are no five pineapples. Letter that quote and put it on Instagram. Everyone will be very (laughs) 
confused and not inspired. But if you're following along, you know what I'm talking about. Because for us, we know that it's not the numbers that matter. It's the pulse on the other side. And we measure success not based on things we can count, but human things that we can feel, meaning, connection, humanity. These are the ways that I define creative success and your ability to show up even before your value shows up in the numbers depends on you doing the same. Quick recap and a little homework. Number one, start with what you're against. It's such a good hack. It's so easy. You know what you're against. You can list it right now. Start thinking about that. Start defining in your medium what do you really just hate? What makes you barf as a creative? Uh, start there. But step two, know what you're for. Don't stay rallied only together by what you're against. You know, we live in a time that is so unproductive. We're so uh, immobilized by our hatred, by what we're against. And we don't take the time to take it that extra mile and say, what are we for? And I think if you do, that becomes an inspiring vision of the future that we actually want to live into. And with that, you'll actually show up and put in the time to work to get there so important. And the third thing is choose human rhythms over algorithms. Choose impressing and and gifting and, and exciting your creative friends that you love and respect over the masses. I think long term, that's the kind of compass that really is going to uh, that's the kind of true north that's really going to keep you showing up. And and the homework that I want you to do if you're game is to make a list of three things that you're for in your creativity and create a pro- proclamation. Put it on Instagram stories and, and tag me on Instagram at Andy J Pizza. I'd love to see. I just want to be – I want to soak in creatives that are for something and not just against something. Um, and maybe even put it on Twitter too if you, because Twitter could definitely use some of that energy. I'm so sick and tired of hearing creatives on Twitter complain about what they're against without really having an alternative that is exciting and, and something to celebrate. So come up with three things that you're for. Tag me at Andy J Pizza in Instagram stories or Twitter. I'd love to soak up that this week. I need some of that energy because I'm sick of the freaking internet, man. Uh, yeah, let's do it. I was going to say, huge shout out. (laughs) I mixed them two 
shoes. Huge shoes. Huge shout out to uh, Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. We love Yoni and we love his music and we love our theme song. Thanks to Alex Sugg for the rest of our soundtrack. Thanks to Sophie Pizza and Ryan Appleton for content assistance and massive shout out for uh, Co-Loop and, and Ryan for uh, helping with sponsorship um, and getting all the, the schedule and all that stuff worked out. Thanks to Jordan Aaron for editing the show. So lovely-ish. And thanks to all of you for showing up again. Till we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs> <laughs>